0: What is up, listeners of the world? My name is Jalen Tully, and welcome to J Talks. Hello, my wonderful, wonderful listeners. You already know what show this is, and you already know who's talking, but in case you don't, my name is Jalen Tully. And this is Jay Talks. I have a whole bunch for you this week. As you can tell by the title, we're going to be talking about not only Morgan Wallen, but every other white celebrity, musician, and artist that feels a compulsive need to say words that they do not have the right to say. We're also going to be talking about the impeachment trial, because of course Donald Trump was acquitted, because that makes sense. But first, before we get into any of that, I want to talk about the Britney Spears documentary that came out on Hulu. The New York Times has a series of documentaries that have come out on Hulu. And I've said it in the past, I'm not a huge fan of the New York Times. I'll probably talk about it eventually. They've just made some decisions, they've run some pieces, they've had some people work for them that makes me just a bit apprehensive to give them my money or my service. So I try not to get my news from them when I can, but this series of documentaries are actually super insightful and seem really informative. I've only watched the Britney one so far, but they have one on Breonna Taylor. They have one on the Australian wildfires, like really interesting topics and topics that I also think people should take the time to educate themselves on, topics that have happened in the last year that people should take some more time to look deeper into. I specifically want to focus on the Britney one, however, not only because people have been talking about it and it's absolutely blown up throughout social media, but also because I think it'll open the floor up for discussion on the misogyny that exists within our media and how differently and how abhorrently women in the music industry are treated when compared to their male counterparts. While it's gotten better, I still don't think it's something to write home about if Brittany had had her mental breakdowns and had her issues with her mental health and done some of the things that she did back then. if I think if she did them today, there would have been a much different reaction, but I still don't think it would have been ideal. And like I said, I think that paints a much larger picture when it comes to misogyny within our media and misogyny within... Sources that we trust to give us our news about these people, these real living individuals who have lives and feelings. The documentary itself goes in chronological order of not just Britney's life, but her career as a whole, while mainly revolving around the very toxic and very questionable conservatorship that she is currently in with her father. It tells the story of everything that Britney was subjected to and everything she had to deal with as a young girl, growing up and learning how to survive in the industry that she was just thrown in at such a young age, and how that contributed to the very public and very profited off of mental breakdown that she had, which ultimately directly led to the conservatorship that she's now in. That's kind of the same track that I want to take in this week's episode. I want to start just talking about the more specific moments, the what I think to be the most important moments of Britney's career that truly led to all of this happening, and then I want to talk about the conservatorship in general, in my opinion, why I think it is absolutely unethical that she's even in it in the first place, and why it's completely abhorrent that her father is the conservator of all people. The first big moment in the documentary that showcases not just what Britney was subjected to, but also what I think the overarching point of the documentary is making that all women in the industry are subjected to. One of the first times Brittany was performing on television, she was on some talent show where, with kids, and she was 10 years old. After she's done performing, the host comes up to her and asks her if she has a boyfriend, asks her about a boyfriend. And again, mind you, she is 10 years old when this is happening. Fast forward a couple of years, Brittany's 17. At this point, she has fans, she has a career, she's performing publicly, people are starting to know her name, she's doing very well for herself. And an interviewer asks her about her breasts and her breast size. First things that come to my mind when I was watching the documentary and these two things were brought to light so soon in the documentary, so soon in Brittany's career and in her life in general, the first thought that came to my head was, oh my god, like, oh, her parents do not care about her. Like, how do her parents, how did her parents not absolutely just beat the crap out of both of those men, the, both of those grown, middle-aged men? I could not even imagine what my parents would have done if I was put in that situation, and if, if a grown man asked me publicly on television, in front of millions of people all over the country, about my breast size, about if I had a boyfriend at 10 years old. The fact that Britney didn't even have the support system of people behind her at those young ages of people who stood by her and not just told her and reminded her, but also reminded the people that she was performing for and the people who were consuming her content that stuff like this is not okay. And you could tell in both of those instances that she didn't really know what to say. She was uncomfortable. You can blatantly tell that by her body language, by her facial expressions. And the fact that, like I said, her parents weren't even supporting her and saying that people have no right to treat you this way, people have no right to disrespect you or your body this way, you have a right to stand up for yourself. Like, the fact that she didn't even have that, to me, is, it's disheartening. It's so sad. And it just, it's so clear so early, at least in the documentary, when you're looking back at Britney's career That she was, she was set up to have all of this stuff happen to her. She was set up to not realize that she didn't deserve to be treated like this. The other side of this, which is something that they made a point of in the documentary, was that this was also a time when NSYNC was big, when the Backstreet Boys were big. They were not asked questions like this. They were not asked primarily about who they were dating. That wasn't the core subject of the interviews. They were not asked about their sexualized body parts on national television. Like it was, and they, like I said, they made that point in the documentary that this was very much driven by misogyny, how Britney was treated. This was very much driven by the fact that we subconsciously force girls to assign their self-worth to whatever man that they're with. Even the ones that are famous, even the ones that are young, 10 years old, we force women to assign their self-worth to those things and we force the public, the people who are consuming this media that she's putting out, that she's producing, to also associate her worth by who she's with. And we see that with the relationship that she had with Justin Timberlake. We see that in how not only their relationship was blown up when they were dating, but also in how he got to control the narrative when they broke up. Regardless of whether or not she was unfaithful, regardless of whether or not she cheated on him, whether or not they had sex, whatever, the fact that he was able to walk away from that relationship and nobody even bothered to take the time to ask her what happened, everyone just took his word for it. Everyone allowed for him to make a mockery of her. Everyone allowed for him to publicly humiliate and slut shame her while she did not say anything. In the documentary, they made the oh-so-genius comparison of him being the school quarterback and her being the school slut. He was the heartthrob, he was the star, everyone loved him, everyone wanted to hear what he had to say, everyone took his story and took what he had to say about this poor girl at face value and completely disregarded her feelings and slut shamed her. The entire country just sat back and media companies to a disgusting amount just profited off of this, just profited off of him publicly humiliating her in their relationship. And the part through all of this that just truly drives me up the wall and makes me so frustrated is the fact that you can have a grown man ask a 10-year-old girl about a boyfriend. You can have a grown man ask a 17-year-old girl about her breast size in a nationally broadcasted interview. You can publicly slut-shame a young woman for a relationship that you were in no way involved in. Yet, when she takes control of her body, when she wants to get on stage in a bikini and make songs about her sexuality, make songs about loving her body, make songs about how beautiful and how sexy and how sexually liberated she is, suddenly she's getting too sexy too fast. That was another really sobering part of the documentary that not long after she was asked about her breast size, people started to make comments about her music and what she was wearing and how she was dancing and how she was too sexy too soon and how parents didn't want her their young daughters watching her people didn't want to consume her media if this was if this was how she was going to present herself she's too young to feel like this she's too young to dance like that she's too young to dress like that and that is another thing that is like very very prominent in the music community I think is when a woman's body is showcased when a woman's sexuality is showcased against her will It's praised, it's profited from when a 17-year-old girl is forced to answer a question about her breast size or about her having a boyfriend at 10 years old on national television. It's profited off of. People eat that shit up. Consumers love it. Media companies make millions off of it. When a girl and her boyfriend publicly break up on suspicions of her cheating, we love that. We'll profit off of that. We'll sell that to the tabloids. We'll write stories about it every single week. Yet, when she wants to control the narrative, when she wants to control how her body is seen, how her body is showcased, how her sexuality is distributed and used by people, suddenly she's the problem, suddenly she's the one to look down upon, suddenly she's the role model that you don't want your child having. I don't understand that logic. I don't understand how you can support media companies, support paparazzi, support people who leak these images and leak these things about these women and embarrass and publicly humiliate these women, how you can clap for those people and encourage them to keep doing what they're doing, but the second those same women turn around and say, "Nah, not anymore, I'm going to own my shit, they're the problem. I, I will never understand that. That's something that... I will never understand in this media. And that's something that personally I've noticed has not gotten better. Our mental health knowledge, our mental health treatment, our reaction to people who are having mental health crises the way Brittany clearly had is very different, is much more advanced, is much more progressive and much more targeted towards helping people instead of profiting off of their pain and what whatever they're going through. But when it comes to the slut-shaming and the misogyny, that's something that really has not changed at all. Which I think is fascinating that people are, you know, trying to have these new conversations about Britney, even though WAP by Cardi B and Megan Thee Stallion came out, what, six months ago? And people absolutely lost their minds at it, making the same arguments that we were making in 1999 when Britney was just starting to get famous. I think it's unacceptable, and I think if we actually want to have the conversation of reconciliation and becoming better, not just for Britney, but for every other woman in the music industry, we also need to take a hard look at how we're treating these women when it comes to their sexualities, because niggas in the music industry can rap about their guns, rap about their drugs, rap about their baby mamas, rap about the strippers that they fuck with at the club, rap about all of this vulgar stuff say this, that, and the other thing, brag about all of the heinous crimes that they commit, and nobody bats an eye. Nonetheless, a lot of these men have, like, seven different kids by five different baby mamas, and none of you have anything to say, but God forbid Cardi B and Megan Thee Stallion make a song about how they enjoy sex. It it hasn't changed. <laughs> it has not changed, and it's, it's so disappointing. But getting back on track, the documentary then goes on, to talk about the battles with the paparazzi that Britney started to have, especially as she started to, you know, get married and become a mother. How she was treated once she had her kids was, in my opinion, abhorrent. Whether or not you think Britney was a bad mother, I don't think she was a bad mother. I think she was a mother who got caught at her worst moments. I'm 18 years old. I think it's pretty clear and pretty easy for me to say that I have no idea what motherhood is like. I have no idea what it's like to try and balance not only being one of the biggest rising pop stars in the world, but also trying to be a mother of two kids while also fighting custody battles and trying to keep your sanity and dealing with misogynistic things and heinous things being said about you every other day. You know, motherhood is hard enough, but when we take into account everything else Brittany had to deal with, it's really upsetting that we weren't more sympathetic towards her oh, she got caught tripping with her kid, she got caught driving with her kid on her lap. And it's like, let's face it, most mothers have probably tripped with their child. Most mothers have probably held their child on their lap while they were driving if their child was upset or distressed. It's just that those mothers also weren't being followed around by 20 people with cameras trying to catch you at your worst moments. Those mothers didn't have those moments then showcased to the entire country, the entire world, who then gets to judge you on your mothering skills. And not only are people judging you, are your mistakes, your accidents with your children being broadcasted to the entire world, but then those same pictures, those same accidents that were used at your expense are then going to be used in a custody battle against you for your two children. I'm surprised she didn't have her mental breakdown then. I'm surprised she did not just lose her mind then. I could not even imagine going through all of that, being so blatantly disrespected in the public eye, and people still looking at you and saying that you're the problem. Brittany's mother did come out later and say that she also believed that Brittany was at the time struggling with postpartum depression after her second child, and going through all of this while also struggling with postpartum, again, I my heart goes out to her. My heart went out to her then, my heart goes out to her now. Around this time, she also had the shaved head incident, and then the umbrella car paparazzi incident, where she, you know, was hitting the side of a paparazzi person's car with an umbrella. Paparazzi were there, and they caught pictures of her shaving her head, they caught pictures of her hitting this guy's car with an umbrella, and they ran with those. They used these to further publicly humiliate her. They used these to further drive the narrative that she was crazy, that she was insane, that there was something wrong with her, when there was nothing wrong with her. She was just struggling with her mental health, and the fact that nobody offered a hand to help her exacerbated it tenfold. And then the documentary, you know, gets into how because of this, because of the publication of these photos, because of the publication of the accidents with her kids, because of the national awareness that her mental breakdown got, she was turned into a punchline. She was turned into a joke. Not just within media outlets, not just within magazines, not just within newspapers, not just within social media, but she was turned into a joke on game shows, Family Feud, there was a segment of things that Britney Spears lost, correct answers included her mind, her kids, her husband. (sighs) People People are brutal, people have always been brutal, people will always be brutal, there will always be evil people who have no regard for other people's feelings. But more than anything I honestly just don't understand, I don't understand how as a person who knows what it feels like to fail, who knows what it feels like to struggle, who knows what it feels like to feel unloved, to have the weight of the world on your shoulders, to feel like you cannot even survive another day. How you can see another person struggling, how you can see another person who's obviously at their lowest, and you can go, I'm going to profit off of this. And not only am I going to profit off of this, but I'm going to make it 10 times worse for this person in the process. One of the more disgusting parts of the interview was actually when they had one of The old paparazzi members, old paparazzi people, I don't know what they're called, paparazzo? Is that like the singular version of paparazzi? I don't know. But they had one of these men who would follow Brittany around, who would take pictures of her, who would try and find, you know, the the next best photo, the next best news story. They had him on the documentary. And as they were talking to him the interviewer asked he was like did you ever get the feeling that Britney was over it did you ever get the feeling that Britney maybe didn't want you to invade her space one day or and the guy said well no she always loved us she always loved the attentions she always loved what we you know our interactions with her she always loved when we were around and the interviewer was like well what about the times when she asked you to leave her alone and this guy in the most Sleazeball way says, well, when she said leave her alone It was like leave her alone for a day. Don't leave her alone forever Which is like if that's not <laughs> the stereotypical man just looking for a way to bypass a woman's no Then I don't know what is. That is so coercive. That is so manipulative That is so like, I don't know in what world leave me alone means anything else, but leave me alone But in case any of you like this man are clearly confused, when a woman says to leave her alone, she means leave her the F alone. She doesn't mean leave her alone for a day and then come back badgering her just as much the next day. She doesn't mean leave her alone for the hour. She doesn't mean leave her alone for what she's doing. She means leave her alone. She means your presence is bothering her. She does not want you around and you are encroaching her space. Oh, that was just such like a ball answer. I felt myself start to sweat when he said that. Like I felt my armpits start to get muggy. It was, ugh. it just, it just grossed me out to hear him say that. So like overall, obviously very deep coated in misogyny, very, you know, you can see, you can see the parts of Brittany's career. You can see the parts of her that were just being worn down time and time again by having to deal with this, by having to be publicly humiliated for people to make money, by having to be subjected to this slut-shaming, to this misogynistic sexual culture that the music industry has. And she was subjected to it time and time again. But delving away from that, I do want to get more into the conservatorship that she's now in. The first thing that caught my eye in the documentary was when they explicitly said that Usually, a person who's under this strict of a conservatorship, usually, a person who's under this type of conservatorship, is someone who is usually mentally and emotionally unable to handle themselves or work or manage their finances. The fact that for the last almost decade and a half, Britney has been flying all over the world performing and touring, and writing music, and making music, and making music videos, and doing all of this very public, very demanding, and very prominent work, to me, even if there's people behind the scenes handling all of the hard stuff for her because of this conservatorship, even if her life is exponentially easier, quote-unquote easier, that is, because of the conservatorship, the fact of the matter is she still did all of that by herself. She gets, she still gets up on that stage. She still sings. She still gets in the booth. She still records herself. She still does what needs to be done to keep her career afloat at the end of every day. And I'm not super educated on the legal aspect of conservatorships, but to me, Britney Spears does not seem like a person that needs to necessarily be under a conservatorship. Maybe she needs to have people at her aid. Maybe she needs to have, you know, people assigned to help her, especially at times of mental distress, but I don't think she needs to have someone who's controlling her, and I definitely don't think that person needs to be her father. At the beginning of the documentary, it said her dad was often struggling with alcohol and bounced around jobs, never really keeping on to one job for a long time, and that he actually ended up filing for bankruptcy. So obviously, this is definitely the man that should control one of the biggest pop stars in the world's finances. This sounds like just the guy you're looking for. That alone, I don't know how that doesn't disqualify him from being her conservator and handling her, her finances. Thankfully, and quite recently, the judge that was presiding over this case did not make him the sole conservator of her finances. The judge also made some other bank um, a partial conservator of Britney's finances, so that's good, but the fact of the matter is this man still is able to be her, one of her conservators in the first place. Like, I don't know how you would trust a guy who's filed for bankruptcy and wasn't able to keep a stable job and dabbled with substance abuse, the ability to control Britney Spears' finances, whether or not he's her father. And to add to that, she said several times quite publicly that she's afraid of her father, that there is a toxic relationship that exists there, that she does not Want him controlling her finances that she does not want him to be her conservator any longer. And to me, again, that's the sign of someone who should not be in a conservatorship. If she's able to see that the person that is her conservator is in a toxic relationship with her, if she's able to see that he's not doing his job well, and if she can notice that she's scared of him, that she feels threatened by him, that she, at the end of the day, just does not want him to be her conservator... That, again, does not seem like someone who is cognitively or mentally impaired enough to the point where they would need a conservator, at least in my head. In my head, that doesn't seem like someone who would need the type of control over her life that Jamie Spears has over Britney's. But I already said I don't know a whole lot about conservatorships, so I'm just gonna kind of leave it there. I'm gonna leave this whole segment there. I'm definitely gonna watch more of these documentaries, and as I watch them if they're really good, especially the Breonna Taylor one, I will come on here and talk about them more. I wholeheartedly recommend watching this Britney Spears one, even though I talked about some of the bigger points and I talked about some of the things that just needed to be talked about, not just in this documentary, but in Britney's life as well. There's a lot that the documentary covers that I did not cover that I did not talk about because, you know, I don't have an hour and 45 minutes to do so. With all of that being said, my heart absolutely bleeds and goes out to not just Britney, but every other woman in the music industry, in the entertainment industry, who has been subjected to the harmful scorns of the misogynistic media. I'm praying that Britney is able to find peace with all of this. I'm praying that Britney is able to get back on her feet and continue to do what she loves and continue to grow as a person and get out of this conservatorship. My heart goes out to her and I always wish her the best. Hashtag Free Britney. Hello you guys! This is just a very quick little interjection. I have completely finished recording this week's episode and I started to go into to edit it and I realized that I actually referred to Morgan Wallen as Mark Wallen every single time I mentioned his name. After doing some more digging, I realized that I completely just had his name wrong. I thought it was Mark. It turns out I was wrong. It's Morgan. Um, so I just wanted to hop on here and say this so that nobody can come from my neck. Because I kept on getting this man's name wrong, even though let's face it, I owe him absolutely nothing. He feels comfortable going out into the world and saying a racial slur is no right to say, just like I feel comfortable hopping on my podcast and getting his name wrong every single time I say it. That was all, you guys, and enjoy this segment. Don't be racist. And now I digress. First, we were talking about a musician that was in the media for all of the wrong reasons, and now we're going to talk about another musician who's also in the media for all the wrong reasons, but in a completely different way. Mark Wallen. What the heck is wrong with you? I I don't know what's worse about this. The fact that it's 2021 and we still to this very day are having white celebrities, white entertainers getting caught in media crossfire for saying things that they really have no right to say or the fact that his sales have actually soared by 180% in the last couple of weeks that this has been a controversy. I don't know which one of those is worse. I don't know which one of those makes me more angry. I don't know which one of those frustrates me more. Either way, they're both disgusting, undoubtedly, and we're gonna talk about both of those. But first, I wanna get this out of the way now. There is no room in our entertainment industry for white adults going around saying racial slurs that they know they have no right to say. If you are an adult, not to mention an adult with a PR team, an adult who knows what it takes to protect your image, And if you're still going out and being videotaped and being caught and being heard and openly saying slurs or any word that you know you are not welcome to say, we have no room for you in this industry. I really am tired of this being something that people just move on from so easily. I don't feel like it should be. As an adult, you are completely and utterly aware of the fact that it is frowned upon for you to go out into the greater of society with your complexion and say the n-word, or say any other racial slur that you have absolutely no right to say. I don't accept this whole, oh it was a mistake, oh oh, I, I'm, I'm claiming ignorance. I didn't mean to, it was an accident, I was drunk, I was angry, or whatever some of the bullshit excuses white people come up with whenever one of their favorite artists, or their favorite celebrities, or their favorite actresses, whatever, gets caught saying some abhorrent shit like the n-word. I don't accept this, oh it was a mistake, oh I didn't I didn't know, yeah, yeah you did, yeah you did. If you are literally Patrick Starr and have an IQ of 86 and have spent your entire life face down living underneath a rock, then maybe I would accept the claim of, oh, I just didn't know any better. It was a mistake. But no, if you've been immersed in this society for more than four seconds, if you have seen everything that's gone on in the last year, if you have seen the pain that black people have come forward with, especially in the last year, and you still go out of your way to say things like this, to have the n-word be an active part of your vernacular and an active part of your vocabulary, I don't want to forgive that. I don't want to allow someone who feels this okay, openly saying words like this, and this okay, openly having a word like this, a part of their vocabulary, if they are a Caucasian, I don't want them in my music industry. I don't know why that's a controversial thing to say, especially cause I'm a black person. I know how I feel when I hear white people say the N word. And I know how I feel when I hear white people say the N word in the way that Mark Wallen said it. I don't care he was drunk. I don't care he was angry. And if anything, honestly, that makes it 10 times worse that people are actually using this as an excuse. Being drunk, being angry, being emotional gives you no right to use a word as ugly as that in your vocabulary. It gives you no right. Not to mention, if you are saying nigga when you are drunk, when you are emotional, when you are yelling at somebody, when you are angry with someone, you are using nigga in every other circle that you exist in. That is not up for debate. Words that you never use don't just fall out of your mouth when when you've had a couple of twisted teas. I don't know what kind of alcohol y'all are drinking, but at least for me, I've never had that happen. I've never just had words that I quote-unquote never use and never say just stumble on out of my mouth when I've had a couple of drinks. That's not a reality for people, and if you're still going to tote that around and use that as an argument, you're a joke. Not only that, but especially being angry, that is that almost makes it worse than if you were, you know, sober or just using it with your friends or just, you know, just singing along to a song. Like, that's t- almost 10 times worse. So let me get this straight. You are angry at somebody. You are hurt, upset, frustrated, pissed off, whatever the case may be. And the ugliest word that you can think of that embodies your anger and embodies your frustration is a slur used against black people. Think about that for a minute. Think about the argument that you're using to justify someone's behavior. Oh, they were angry. Oh, they were drunk. Why is that the first word that they want to say when they get angry or drunk? Why is that the first word that people want to say and people want to excuse other people saying when people get angry or drunk or emotional? Why are you defending this? I just, oh my god, it's like we shouldn't even be having these conversations anymore. I don't know, I don't know why white people fight for their right to say racial slurs so bad. You know it upsets people, you know it offends people, you know it's just gonna make people angry. I don't know why you feel the need to claim something and utilize something and hurt people with something that you know is just gonna piss people off. (laughs) Not to mention, his response was pure shit. <laughs> his response was absolutely terrible. It was, it just seemed like so not sincere. It was just like that whenever any celebrity, whenever any influencer or star or musician gets into some shit, you they just hop on Instagram and make this, you know, 58 second long video about how sorry they are and how it's never going to happen again and whatever, whatever. And that's exactly what it was. It was shit. It was very basic. It didn't seem sincere at all. I've already said, like, this isn't something that I think I can forgive people for. I don't think this is something that we should just let people waltz right back into the music industry and continue to make money and continue to sell records and continue to have a flourishing career. Personally, for me, I think this is something that we should just ice people out of the music community, period, point blank. Because I've I've already said it, you're an adult, you know better. You should know better, at least. Like, if you haven't understood at this point... You know, and the thing is, I'm not even saying that you have to be the most woke person ever, that you have to dedicate every single second of your life to black liberation and making this country safer for black people. But at the very least, if you've made it to adulthood and you still don't understand why you do not have any right to say the n-word, I'm not saying that you should have your entire life ruined. I'm not saying that you shouldn't be able to find jobs or whatever. I mean, personally, I wouldn't want to hire someone who has that as a part of their vocabulary but at the very least we shouldn't give these people a platform we shouldn't let these people make music for millions of people we shouldn't let these people make millions of dollars a year and have and have all of these privileges and these things that normal people don't have access to at the very least i don't think that we should give people like this a platform which is why it's kind of it's kind of annoying that after every single time this happens after whenever an actor whenever a singer whenever a rapper says some um, racial slur says something awful they still continue to have a career and they still continue to make millions of dollars and have all of these fans and have all of these people who are supporting them and it was even worse this time because his sales actually went up and he started to make more money and he started to bring more people in and attract more people to his music oh, someone said something absolutely disgusting that I know I shouldn't support and people are rightfully angry, upset, and offended, but here, I'm just going to give more of my money to this person because, like, screw people's feelings. Who cares if people are genuinely and rightfully upset or offended? I'm still going to just enable this behavior and show this person that no matter what they do, no matter what they say, no matter what disgusting word falls out of their mouth, they're still going to have an audience and they're still going to make millions of dollars." And people wonder why black people are still talking about racism and people wonder why black people are still saying every single day that they don't feel safe or they don't feel welcome in their own country. It's because y'all do stuff like this. Instead of someone like Mark Wallen or Mark Wallen himself saying the N-word on video and not cutting them off, not giving any more of a platform, and listening to black people when they tell you that we shouldn't have people like this exist in our spaces of music and in our spaces of the entertainment industry and standing in solidarity with them, you what, spit in the face of all of the oppression that not only black people have had to shoulder in this country, but are still shouldering to this very day? It, it doesn't sit right with me. It really does not at all. One of his producers actually came out and obviously condemned what he said, condemned the behavior, and will be donating all of the money that he made from his latest album with Mark Wallen to the Tennessee chapter of the NAACP which that is, that's the type of accountability and that's the type of rectification that I love to see when stuff like this happens. I already said I don't think people who feel so comfortably saying stuff like this in this year at this time deserve to have their platform back. I've already said that, but I think especially the white people around them and them themselves, if they actually truly condemn their behaviors and learn to grow from them, I think this is a great path to redemption would be to actually show your dedication to making this country better for black people, to uplifting black voices, making black voices heard. Granted, if you're still making these mistakes in your adulthood, I don't think you'll ever truly see the error in your ways, but, you know, people can change, people can grow. I just, I've already said, I just think it's a little late. I think if you're still making these, quote unquote, I've already said it, mistakes in your adulthood, I think there's a much deeper issue that needs to be discussed there as to why for so long you have blatantly ignored the fact that this is something that offends people and you've just felt okay doing it anyways. But I love that the people around him have not only held him responsible, but also held them responsible enough to the point where they also see in themselves the need for them to do just that and for them to support and uplift black people at a time like this when communities are shaken by stuff like this. There's just one more final point that I want to make before we head into the final chapter of this week's episode regarding Donald Trump's impeachment. That being, I as someone who is engrossed in music culture, as someone who finds solace in listening to music, as someone who throws themselves into artists, into albums that they love and enjoy listening to, I don't understand what the discourse is when moments like this happen, when controversial moments in music happen, when someone shows the true color, specifically a musical artist, I don't understand what the big deal is about abandoning them and no longer supporting them. There are hundreds of thousands of musicians in the world. There are millions upon billions of songs that probably exist in the world. Why are you so bent out of shape that you can't listen to Chris Brown anymore? Why are you so bent out of shape that you can't listen to Mark Wallman anymore? Why are you so bent out of shape that people are getting mad at you for listening to T.I. or R. Kelly or any other person in the music industry that has done some messed up stuff and people no longer want to support them for just that? There are really only about two to three artists that I listen to that I wholeheartedly enjoy and that if it came out that there's someone who I should not be giving my money to, who I should not be supporting, whose music I should not be listening to, it would be really hard for me to abandon them and not and stop listening to their music, but I could still do it. I don't know what this, what this obsession is with music that causes us to be unable to separate our feelings from music and understand that when we support someone, when we listen to their music, when we give them money, when we give them sales and revenue, we are indirectly supporting what they do, we are indirectly telling Chris Brown that, hey, you can beat multiple women, you can physically assault multiple of your girlfriends, you'll still have a bountiful career, you'll still be making millions of dollars. We can tell someone like T.I. that he can take his daughter to get sexually assaulted, to have her hymen checked for her virginity every single month, and he can still have a career, and he can still make millions of dollars, and he can still star in a Netflix show. That's another thing that really does not sit right with me, the fact that we are indirectly enabling this behavior. We are indirectly enabling predatory, racist, misogynistic behavior by allowing not just Mark Wallen, but every other toxic man in the industry, every other... No, and it's not just men. There's women too that are problematic. Every other toxic person that exists within this industry, that you can do this, that, and the other thing. You can offend this group of people, you can do this messed up thing, you can assault these women, you can say these awful things about your girlfriend, you can say a racial slur in on video, and nothing is gonna happen to you. And you can still be successful and you can still make all of this money and you can still have access to all of these privileges and this entire lifestyle that the average person will never even touch in their lifetime. I don't understand how we how it's okay, how we feel okay doing this. I don't understand how we feel okay allowing this. And I understand that not everyone has as strong of feelings about stuff like this as I do, but when it comes to saying racial slurs in adulthood, when it comes to beating women, when it comes to predatory behavior that exists within the music industry, that's stuff that personally I don't think that I can move past. I don't understand how we can move past it, but I've already said I know I'm not. I know I'm probably a minority on this. I know a lot of people do not feel the same way I do regarding a lot of the artists that I mentioned, and I know a lot of people don't feel the way I do regarding Mark Wallen and that is fine. But I'm just coming on here to share my opinion because that's what this show is about. So overall, screw Mark Wallet, <laughs> Screw people who are still supporting him. Screw people who are going out of their way to stream his music now to show your support for someone as ignorant as this. I'm not going to say he's racist. I'm not going to say he's prejudiced or a bigot because I don't know the guy. I don't but I feel pretty comfortable at the very least saying that he is very ignorant, that he has a lot of learning to do, and that I don't think the entertainment industry, where he has millions of eyes on him, is the correct place for someone like this to be. Also, the title of this episode is based around the fact that when all of this was happening, I genuinely had no idea who this man was. Um, I I did look him up, and he does have, like, a couple of songs that I think we all would know, like that Whiskey Glasses song. I'm not going to sing it because I've already, like, slandered this man, so I don't want to get the copyright strike against me as well, but, like, with that Whiskey Glasses song and then, like, a couple of other songs that he has, I didn't know that he sang them. Quite frankly, I didn't really care that he sang them, but I just thought it was funny because it's, like, if people are hearing about you for the first time because of an n-word controversy, then I think you should probably rethink the line of work that you decided to enter. I feel like the overall mantra of this episode should be disappointed but not surprised, because that is exactly how I have been feeling talking about everything this week. Disappointed, incredibly and genuinely disappointed, but not in the slightest bit surprised and I especially feel that way, with the latest impeachment trial regarding Donald Trump's acquittal. And yes, you heard that right. Donald Trump was in fact acquitted on all charges regarding his involvement and instigation of the January 6th Capitol riots. This is regardless of the fact that the people who stormed the Capitol were openly and proudly doing so on his behalf. This is regardless of the fact that the people who stormed the Capitol were targeting the same individuals who Donald Trump had called out and held disdain for in the previous months, and this is regardless of the fact that those individuals were also very openly acting based on his unsupported and baseless lies regarding election and voter fraud. I don't even know what to say. I have, I'm not even gonna lie, I have re-recorded and deleted this section probably 6 times at this point because I just I just I because I just stall and I don't know what to say because everything that probably needs to be talked about regarding this everything that needs to be said every statement that needs to be made I've already said it I've already made the statements I have already made points as to why this should not be an acquittal as to why we need to convict him as to why we need to set a precedent that inciting riots and doing things like this and making baseless lies about our democracy is not okay. I've already said disappointed, but not at all surprised. I'm not at a loss for words because I'm surprised. I'm at a loss for words because I knew it was coming, but now that it's actually here, I don't know what to make of it. I am so utterly disappointed in the quote unquote democracy that we have. In what world? In what world, if 57 people out of 100 people make a vote to enact something or put something into place or make a decision, then in what world, only in American democracy, are the 43 people who voted against them going to get their way? Because that's exactly what happened. I I understand that's how our system works. I understand that's how our quote-unquote democracy works, and I'm going to keep using quotes around our democracy because this is not a democracy at all. It makes no sense. It absolutely makes no sense. In what world should 43 people have more power over 57 people? In what world should a minority have more of a voice and get their way over 57 people who were in the majority and who wanted to push something forward and make something happen? How does that make any sense? And I understand it's because you need two-thirds votes. I understand it's because you need 67 votes. This isn't so much my confusion, my frustration, isn't so much regarding the fact that I don't know how our Senate works. My confusion and frustration comes from the fact that I know exactly how our Senate works, and I'm trying to make the point that the way it works makes absolutely no sense. And not only do I not understand how or why our Senate works the way it does, but I don't understand how our Senate has more power than our House, because our House voted overwhelmingly. The House of Representatives voted overwhelmingly to impeach this man. And they, and they did just that, and then it went on to the Senate so that they could convict. And I'm going to say it now, this isn't going to be so much about the impeachment in general, this is just going to be about the crazy and nonsensical nuances of our democracy, quote-unquote, democracy. But with that being said, I it doesn't make sense to me how people who represent more people per individual can have more legislative power over the group and the branch of our government who represents less people per person. Does that make sense? I'm gonna, I'm gonna explain it deeper. The state of Wyoming has two senators that represent that state. There are half a million people in Wyoming. There are 500,000 people that live in Wyoming. I'm not even making that up. The state of California also has two senators that represents the entire state. The state of California has a state population of 39 million people. Yet, the senators from Wyoming, who each represent a quarter of a million people, for some weird Americanized reason, have more power than the two senators representing the state of California, which each represent about 19 million people each. How does that at all make sense? How logistically does that at all make sense? And if we're going to have a system like that, then Sorry, I'm going to say it, but the House of Representatives needs to have more power than the Senate, because there's no way in hell that a system and a branch of government that is that has representatives from each state, based on how many people exist in that state, should have less power in terms of making governmental decisions, in terms of representing the people than the legislative branch that represents less people per individual. Like that, I... I hope I explained that in a way that kind of like made sense and shared why this is angering and frustrating to me. And I hope you kind of understand where I'm coming from. I understand if that was a completely confusing kind of way that I described that. But yeah, so that's something that I just like completely does not make sense to me. I don't understand how one, a system, a legislative or governmental branch like the Senate can exist when we make the false claims of having a democracy, when we make the false claims that everyone is represented equally, that everyone has a voice in this country. Two, I don't know how that system can somehow have less power than the system that much more accurately and adequately does a much better job at representing people in this country much more equally and giving them much louder voices when it comes to making legislative decisions. And three, I don't understand how within that system, within the Senate, the majority has somehow less power than the minority and the minority seems to get their way with votes. That makes that makes no sense to me. And I said it last week so I'm not going to like reiterate myself too much, but the arguments for why they couldn't convict him and to why they couldn't go forward with with this impeachment just complete garbage. Complete garbage. Oh, he's out of office. Oh, he's not president anymore. So we can't punish him for crimes that he committed when he was president. Okay, so that means that every other president in history in their last week of office will just commit the worst crimes ever and then they'll get out of office and they'll, what, be able to get away with it? That sets such a dangerous precedent. Not to mention, it's not like Donald Trump served two terms and now he can't run again. He can still run for public office again. Not only that, but he can still run for president again. He still has up to a full term that he could serve under the constitution. So, while, yes, I guess he's not in office anymore, and I guess you, you know, if you still want to make this argument, oh, we can't impeach a, you know, former president, but he could be a future president. And that's, like, what this impeachment was focused on. It was focused on restricting his power in the future and restricting him from committing something like this again and doing something like this again. But, you know, logic is confusing, especially to Mitch McConnell. It just goes in one old raggedy ear and right out the other one. Um... I, I don't want to spend too much more time on this because I've already been recording for an hour, and quite frankly, I'm tired. You're probably tired. But I do just want to say that I, I don't want Republicans, I don't want people in this country to be surprised when or if this happens again. I don't want people in this country to be surprised if there is a far more successful coup and riot attempt against another one of our federal buildings or against the Capitol again. I don't want people to be surprised or disappointed or upset when these individuals take it upon themselves to get angry the next time there's political or social discourse and they actually manage to harm or grab hold of or kill lawmakers and elected officials and the people that they targeted the first time. Historically, unsuccessful coups are followed by successful coups if they are not mitigated and restricted and punished And if there's not a precedent set. So for for the sake of my country, for the sake of my lawmakers, for the sake of the citizens that I also live with, and the citizens who I also call American in this country, I hope that for their sake we are able to find a way to restrict these people's power, restrict these people's voices to the point where something like this does not have the ability to take place again. But historically, I'm just trying to prepare at least the people who are listening now that there is a very real chance that something like this could happen again. Maybe it won't be Donald Trump. Maybe, you know, his inability to have access to social media platforms, maybe his inability to reach wider audiences because of his censorship, maybe that will mitigate his reach enough to the point where he's unable to be successful in future elections and we won't have to deal with him anymore. But if it's not gonna be him, it's gonna be someone else. It's gonna be someone else who saw what he was able to get away with. It's gonna be someone else who saw the crimes that he was able to commit, who saw the hatred that he was able to breed in this country, who saw the discourse that he was able to profit off of, and they're gonna go, you know what? I'm gonna do the same thing. Someone else is going to awaken these people's violence. Someone else is going to awaken the bigotry and the prejudice that they hold within them. And someone is going to instigate or look to incite violence, maybe not directly in this way, but in a way that benefits them, much like Donald Trump did. And we need to be ready for that. Not as individuals, not as Democrats, not as black people. We need to be ready for that as a country. We need to be ready for that as one united front, because when this happens again, because we did not do what was asked of us, and we did not do what was needed of us this time to make sure that it it doesn't happen again. So when it does, we need to do better next time. We need to hold people accountable, and we need to take the necessary steps to keep individuals in this country and this country as a whole safe. Not only that, but we need to also take steps to keep our democracy safe. (sighs) Another week, another seven days of having to see increasingly disappointing things in the news and coming on here and talking about it. But I'm so happy that you guys joined me this week. I'm so happy that I'm able to have an area where people are listening to me, where people are, you know, caring about what I have to say and engaging with me in these kinds of ways. So definitely, if you liked this week's episode, if you liked what I had to say, if you thought it was inspiring or informative or necessary to hear, be sure to share it with friends, with family, with other people that you think would like to hear it. Also, be sure to follow and subscribe for weekly episodes that come out every single Sunday. Be sure to leave me a rating and review. It also helps me a lot to make sure that people like you are also able to enjoy this podcast. I I am so hopeful and I'm holding on to the hope that things will get better, especially if the pandemic starts to wind down, especially as more people get vaccinated and more people take precautionary measures and do what's asked of them to make sure that we're able to overcome this, not just as a country, but as a world. And I hope that as Biden is able to get more stuff done, as we're able to get more stuff done with the democratic legislation that we currently have in place, we are able to make an America that we're proud of to live in again. And we're able to leave the Trump presidency and everything that he brought with him, every single ugly thought and belief that he brought with him, we're able to truly leave all of that in the past. And I'm I'm really holding on to that hope. I truly am. And I think that it would do all of us some good if we were all able to hold on to it. So guys, with that being said, make it easier to hold on to that hope by leaving this episode and every other episode ready to educate often, learn freely, and always, always, always love equally. Thank you so much, guys, and always take care of yourselves.